Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, episode number 77, the Jeremy Knight story in his 190-inch Kentucky Giant. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. G'day mates, this is Zach Shaggy Slattery from Adelaide, Australia, and I'm Williams & Co. Bow Hunting and Fishing. You're listening to my favorite hunting podcast on the internet, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. My name is Evan Coons, and I'm from Indiana, and I shot the wide load buck. And you're listening to my favorite deer hunting podcast on the internet, the Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast. I'm Jim Stickle, deer biologist, and you're listening to my favorite hunting podcast on the internet, Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Dusty Phillips, your host of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, and I'm joined today with Jay Scott. What's happening, Jay? What's up, Dusty? I can't believe you said you're the host, man. I'm the host. You're the oh, co-host. Sorry. Co-host. Let, let, let's let's say co-host. My bad. No, that's all right. I'll let you have the spotlight for a little while. I'm totally cool with that. What's going on, man? Uh, just another day here in Ohio. And, and, you know, you can tell that uh, Ohio shotgun was last week. That's a fact. My goodness. I go out to a stand and I see squirrels, you know. Squirrels don't care about Ohio deer gun, but I know the deer sure are spooky. How has your season gone? But be honest. Yeah, be honest. With you. It, as far as slick heads, it's gone really good. Yeah. But for some reason here lately, I can't. I can't lay my eyes on some antler, and I don't. I don't. I'm not quite figured it out yet. I don't know what I'm doing wrong or what's going on. I just don't think the deer are here in Ohio like they're claiming. But okay. you know, that's that's in my area. Um, I'm just going to grind it out. I'm going. I'm going to keep going until I see what I want to shoot, and I know it's there. I know there's there's a couple nice bucks in my area. Yep. I know they're nocturnal, but I do know that cold weather's coming. There's going to be some snow, and, and there's going to be some some definite daytime moving of some mature bucks once everything settles back down from deer gun week. Yep. Would you say that you could take home something positive from the season so far? Well, yeah, I got uh, I got a big doe in the freezer. That, yep. That's one thing positive. Uh, you know, as far as deer sightings, I'm doing real good. Okay. But I'm not. I'm not seeing the bucks like I thought I would. Hmm. Interesting. That's. Um, I'm hearing that a lot from around the country. Um, even our good friend Lane Benoit was still out trying to find a track. Uh, he did find one out somewhere. He he won't disclose his location, but it seems like there are a lot of really good hunters having the same exact experience this year. I don't know why. I don't know right. if it's just us or if it's just there's something larger than us going on right i I don't understand it myself you know usually by now i'm tagged out i'm done for the year Hmm. but you know there's always a few seasons that it's taken me to the end of the year you know right we don't go out till february 1st with our archery we still got a three-day muzzleloader yet to come but i'm usually by man 
November the 18th, I'm usually on the couch watching hunting shows, but this year I got to keep after it. Yeah. I'm in the same boat, brother. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I went out last, last weekend. It was the last weekend of rifle and I've had some opportunities. I've had bucks in the scope. Just, just, just couldn't put it all together for various reasons. Yeah, that, that's just, that's why they call it hunting, not killing. That's right. That's exactly right. I did a good, uh, you know, I had a, a good buddy of mine, a good old hunting buddy. We went out to this one spot last week, last hurrah, let's get it done. Did a low sweep of uh, the lowlands and then came up onto the hill and uh, did a, a little push using the crunch of the snow to kind of, to our advantage. And pushed the, you know, walked down through this area and there was more deer sign, fresh deer sign. I'm talking highways all made within the last 24 hours. And there was, there had to be so many deer there that it was almost inevitable you're going to see one. Never saw a single deer. It's like we're three hours later, something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that just tells you that the deer are smarter than you ever thought. Yep. They're built for survival. Oh, yeah. They're, they're built to read a situation and make the best of safety. Yep. And when the hunters have become prominent and they're trying to survive and they identify you as a predator the crunch of a heavy snow is going to keep them moving along yeah absolutely and they're going to know where to bust away it's the way it goes i'd say it time and time again you know big mature bucks don't want to die that's right they do not you know that's right now if i was turkey hunting or if i was pheasant hunting or if i was grouse hunting or even if i was um, trying to find any other animal except a deer. I found it last Sunday. It's amazing, ain't it? It is when, unbelievable. When it's, when it's turkey season, you can't find a turkey. Pretty much. You can't when it's when you're hunting grouse. You can't yeah. find a grouse. When you're looking for a pheasant, you can't find a pheasant. It's amazing how yeah. that works. I did on the way to our spot. I did spot two doe that were feeding under a hemlock tree on the way, and uh, we swung around. I jumped out of my truck with my bow, tried to sneak up on them, and the very first step I took into the snow was crunch, crunch, and they were gone. No kidding. Yep, and uh, didn't even have a chance. Got to a spot. The minute I drove up, there were deer tracks everywhere, fresh stuff within the last 24 hours. Two grouse were kind of just coming up over the ridge, looked right at us, walked away, came back, looked, you know, it was, it was like they didn't care. But I wasn't grouse hunting, of course. And we were deer hunting. No deer to be found. Saw 50-something turkeys all, all um, flocked up like they do this time of year. But we're not, we're not turkey hunting. We're deer just hunting. Am, it's just amazing how that works. It's, it's, it's ungodly. They, they, they know. They really do. I'm not they, a threat. They, I saw turkeys small, large, in between the biggest monster long bridge you've ever seen. But did I see a deer? Nope. So do you think your deer herd's down, or do you think that... Uh, I think, no, that not in this area where I was. I think uh, their deer are plenty plentiful there, and we were just not in the right area. Gotcha. I think they were there about three or four hours before us, and we might have pushed them out, or there were some other hunters. I found other hunters' tracks that had kind of gone through the area, sort of. So the and the, the snow was so loud and crunchy that if they heard that, they pro- the whole herd probably got out of there before we even got to the spot that's my guess mm. yeah well, i wish we could get some snow here that that's something we're lacking this year is yeah. snowfall uh you know hopefully it's to come it's mid-december and and the future is calling for snow here so we'll see what happens i think that once the snow hits this guy is going to be in the stand a whole lot nice well i'm going to give it one last hurrah 
tomorrow with the bow. We have one more day of bow. And I'm going to try to get to a spot where they're hanging out and just sit down. Is, the, is uh, Sunday it then? Sunday's it, man. It's it for the season. Dang, dang, dang. After that, I'm going to do a little ice fishing, and then it's going to be turkey season come spring. And that's what I'm going to be focusing on. Right right on. You know, late season here in Ohio is, man, it can, it can be unbelievable. It could be, if we get the snow or some freezing rain, it could be some of the best sets of the year, you know. That's what I'm hoping for. Yep. And I asked you the question about have you found anything anything good about the this, this season so far? And the, the reason I asked that is because I've actually, because of where I was hunting, where why I was hunting, I actually got out to some new spots that I have never seen before and found some spots like this one I was talking about. I've never hunted that spot before, but it held more deer. Two different, three different spots that I went to held more deer that I have never hunted prior. So it was an experience to learn as almost a, once the snow fell, now you really had a good idea where most of the deer are hanging out in spots that other hunters probably haven't realized yet. That's the cool part about snow. And, yes. you know, I, I got, I'm kind of jealous of New Hampshire style hunting. You know, if it's not posted, you can hunt it. Right. Boy, you're in real trouble here in Ohio if you're on land that's uh, not posted because you're supposed to have written permission. It's one of the, this, you know, when, when I hunt other states, I'm not used to that. Yeah, it's definitely, coming to you would be different because I'd just go, you know, so I'd go till I'd found a sign. Heck yeah. That's the you best know, you, part about New Hampshire. You got a rifle or you got some distance you can shoot. Let's, let's take a walk yeah. and, and bump something up and get a shot off. Yep. You just go until you're told to stop by a sign, a yellow sign or an orange sign in the middle of the woods somewhere. That's craziness. Yep. And then, uh. But, you know, if if I were using that mentality somewhere else, you know, I'd, I'd probably end up in jail. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You'd have you some, some tickets and some fines. And, yeah, it definitely wouldn't work here in Ohio. But, you know, they, 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 I always wondered. And then that's a question that you've answered over the last couple of years here, that if I had access to roam all this land, if I could get a mature buck harvested yearly, every year, no matter what, I had all this land, why, why wouldn't I? But that, that was always a question in my mind. That if you could hunt unlimited ground that's not posted, if you could really take advantage of it, it's not as easy as it sounds, is it? Nope. The the deer are still smarter than you are, or not necessarily smarter, but they have better survival instincts than you're prepared for. Right. I agree. Yep. And it's, it's we don't, granted, you're, the example we're using for me, or you're using the example of me for New Hampshire, we don't have as many deer. So if you could do what we could do in New Hampshire in Ohio no doubt you'd have higher success rates because you have more deer. Right. It just it makes me think that, you know, I'm going to take a two-mile hike. You come walking with me. So we're buddy hunting. That's, right. That's, that's my thing. I'm going in two miles is drive the woods to me. Yeah, and that's kind of what we do. You, know, right. you either jump on a track or you get a buddy or you get a couple buddies and you kind of push an area with humans and, and get them get them moving. That's, right. That's yeah, that's, that's the cool part about having big land to travel on. Exactly. It's like public. It's all public land unless you're told otherwise. Right. That that's that's cool. Yep. That's very cool. Yeah. To me, it's totally different. And uh, you know, here we, I, I get on an eleven acre parcel, and that's all I got. Right. And everything around me is no hunting. Right. And we all adapt to our hunting styles based off of what we're given. Oh yeah, that's absolutely. Good. Yep. So let's stop stop talking about us and our 
unsuccess rate, and let's start talking about somebody that actually killed one this year. I'll tell you what, we got a Kentucky Slammer coming on here a, today. A huge Kentucky Slammer, the 190-inch-ish. Is that what it ended up being? Yeah, my goodness. Wow, that that's a big buck. Mr. Jeremy Knight, who is uh, on the pro staff of uh, Infraction Mineral and Covert Scouting Cameras, uh, joining us to tell us the story of the monster Kentucky whitetail that he, he was able to take down. Let's get him on. Let's do it. Let's let's hear the story of this Kentucky slammer. Yeah, let's let's hear the story about somebody that actually shot a deer. <laughs> that was a good one, Jay. Let's get him on. Jeremy Knight, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, sir. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. You don't have to call me, sir. I just like to say, sir. But that's all cool. <laughs> you, I don't think Dusty's going to care, but I, uh, I like the politeness anyway. That's cool. Hey, as hey, long as we can talk about this monster buck, this Kentucky giant, you can call me anything you want, Jeremy Knight. <laughs> yeah, you can call me anything you want, too. You're shooting bigger deer than I am, so that's yeah. that's a heck of a – you can do whatever you want to do. I've uh, just been lucky. just been really lucky. L- luck has a, a huge role in whitetail hunting. I have to agree to that. Luck, luck kicks in whenever preparation and patience and all that meets. Absolutely. All that has to come in together for everything to go down. I agree totally. Completely agree with that. So, Jeremy, let's break it down. Let's break down who you are. Let's break down the hunt. Let's break down your gear setup, all those things you attribute your success to. We're trying to figure out if we can get some clues as to how we can become better hunters ourselves by learning what you did and what you do to make yourself shoot big deer like you did. Um, that's what we want to know. We're trying to trying to help ourselves out and help our community out, if that's cool. Right. I've... Uh... I'm 32 years old now. I've been hunting, or at least going to the woods and being around hunting ever since I was born. I was probably, I've been going out into the woods with my dad and a couple of my his buddies probably ever since I was five or six. Um, I can remember just going and sitting and watching, you know, just watching the deer and just couldn't wait to get my first deer, you know, and seeing, you know, learning the techniques of the sign, but like rubs and scrapes and how they're traveling and learning all that through my dad and just the opportunity of being out there has helped me in the success that I've had the past few years on my own. Um, you know, hunting has come a very long way. I mean, back when I started, we didn't have trail cameras and you didn't hear nothing about food plots. I mean, you had soybeans, corn, and wheat to hunt, you know, or acorns or whatever. Uh, how, how old were you when you harvested your first buck or your first deer? Nine years old when I shot my first deer. Awesome, great age, great age. Nice. Shot him with a uh, with a twelve gauge slug. Is what I killed my first deer with. No kidding. Can you take us back to that moment? Do you remember when you were nine? Yeah. Um, man, I, I mean, you know, I, I'd even started bow hunting around that age also, but nothing ever come, you know, come into range really for bow because I really, I mean, I've been around it, but I hadn't put much preparation into bow hunting because my dad had always muzzle over and gun hunted. But I can remember me and him going out to the farm, like shooting and getting everything sighted in. And my cousin, I mean, we had to take our hunter safety course, man, we were just pumped about it. So the, it was a youth weekend, and my dad had took my cousin to opening day, and he'd shot a deer. And, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. It was, like, ecstatic. I mean, it was like Christmas Day, you know. He killed his first deer. I was pumped for him. And then the next day, we went out, and, you know, we hunted that morning and didn't see a deer at all. In the afternoon, I mean, it was closing down. It was getting close to dark. I was hunting the field edge. And just so happened, here come a bunch of does just come piling out. And uh, next thing I know, here stepped out of what I thought was a good eight-pointer. And uh, he was just broadside, and he stayed broadside to me. And 
I mean, the light was closing down, so I just put the gun up on his front shoulder and pulled the trigger. And he run a little bit and he fell down. So we got up and we started walking over to him and he got ready to get up again. I saw I shot him again because I wanted to make sure he wasn't on track because how far, like the thick it was and stuff, there was no way we could have found him that night. But he, after the second shot, he never did move anymore. And I got up over to him and picked him up and he was just a half rack. And I was just as happy over that half rack deer as I am any deer anymore. I mean, especially after one I killed this year, just because it was my first deer, you know, and feeling the rush and. I mean, you'll never forget that feeling. If you lose having buck fever and all that stuff, there's no sense in even hunting if you if you don't get nothing from it. But I, I don't think. I agree with that. I, mean, I still get tore up now. I mean, if it's not before or during the shot, right after the shot, man. I mean, it's just, it's just a shot. When you when you say tore up, son, there ain't nothing like it. Tore up. I get tore up too. How about you, Jay? <laughs> I get wicked toward up, man. Oh, man. Hey, so, so you called it a half rack. We get, sometimes yeah. I like to call that a padiddle. Yeah, yeah. I call that a, I call it a dink. A what? A dink. Spell that. D-I-N-K, a dink buck. Right. Has a half rack called a dink. Really? Where'd you come yeah. up with that? Just I don't know. Just, so, something popped in my head. Is that a buckeye yeah. thing? <laughs> you yeah. just know you know how I am, Jade. So stuff just randomly comes into my head. Yes, it does. Yes, it I does. Said, I, I come home one. I think I come home one day and told my wife that I seen a dink tonight. She's like, "What? What? What is a dink?" So it's a half rack. <laughs> Yeah, I have to apologize, Jeremy, for some of Dusty's behavior hey, sometimes. Hey, hey, I tell you what, I'm a good time all the time. He is, and I just like to let his his creativity flow and not reel it in. We're, we're artists here, so we're, we're just let it go. Um, where where are you from, Jeremy? I'm from Franklin, Kentucky. It's I'm right on the Kentucky Tennessee line. I'm about uh, 30 minutes from Nashville. I'm north of Nashville. No and kidding. If you know where, about 20 minutes from Bowling Green, Kentucky. What was it like growing up down there? Uh, was it a country setting or is it a city pretty, setting? Pretty much a country setting. It's a small town. I mean, you know, um, everybody knows everybody and everybody knows what you're doing and they, they got a lot of assumption, you know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of small town drama if you do good, you know, and some of the others around either get jealous because you've done good or may try to make something of yourself. Everybody tries to bring you down. You just got to keep your head up and keep, keep pushing on, you know whether it's business or hunting industry or whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. So what do you do for a living? Um, I do construction work for a living. I do uh, electrical and stuff like that. Very nice. And, and what, growing up, who would you attribute your skill set to? Was there somebody that taught you how to hunt or just something you developed on your own? Probably my dad. Man, he uh, he's, he's hunted and hunted and hunted. I mean, he, he's hunted back when he could. He hunted probably harder than I do now, and I mean, I feel that I hunt like a wild man. I really do. Uh, a wild man? Yeah. I mean, if I can hunt seven days a week, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, I do it. I mean, if the weather's permitting and it's that time of year, I'm there. All right, this got my interest. Tell us how hmm. you hunt like a wild man. I mean, I start, I, I don't stop hunting. And what I mean by I don't stop hunting is I'm always preparing and scouting and putting my timing in the woods. To, to learn my settings that I'm hunting and to learn my deer activity because the deer's pattern changes all throughout the year. I mean, you know, their summer patterns are going to be different from the fall pattern to the rut pattern and all that. I mean, from January to January, I'm running trail cameras, I'm scouting deer, I'm shed hunting, you know, I mean, even shed hunting, I mean, people think, well, that's kind of crazy, but I mean, I enjoy the heck out of it. I might, find, I might not find one and I might find three or four, you know. 
Um, but that also helps you kind of learn to travel that that you might not know. And you go throw up with one of them covert cameras and see what's going on. That's a magic word right there. Man, them cameras are great. They've, they've helped me out tremendously, I tell you. Yeah, I love those cameras, man. And and uh, I just actually think we were just on a news feed on, the, uh, on Pat Howard's site. I think, and you're friends with Pat Howard, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yep. I had Pat on the, uh, he is a good guy. I had him on the podcast, Dusty and I both did. And I had to spend an hour with both Pat and Dusty in that same interview, just so you know. <laughs> I, it was it was all I could do to contain both of them. Hey, I, I got to say, though, Pat did keep his composure when he did the Culver podcast. We need to have Pat on just for Pat Howard. Back to your oh. wild man, hunting like a wild man. Wild that man, sounds, let's, let's get into that, that some more. That's, that sounds like that uh, you need a Facebook page or something that's like Whitetail Wild Man or Wild Man Whitetails or something. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, tell, you, tell your story. Get it out for the people to, to interact with you. Right, right. I, one of the cool things I did with this deer, I mean, I mean I've hung, I have the last two years, I've probably I've spent on that one deer, man, I've spent a lot of time just chasing him and hunting him and just losing sleep over it and everything else, but, um, you know, I mean, everything ties back, everything, all the technology now ties back into the roots that I learned whenever I very first started, you know, find the sign, find the rubs, find the scrapes, the food, and then you'll find your deer. The cameras now, you put your, you know, it's not a guessing game, you can tell what size deer's in there, you know, I mean, you might have a good deer that you would shoot. Um, if you didn't have that camera, then you might have a monster coming in right behind him, and you not really know it. And I mean, if you're sitting there first light, opening that bow season, and that deer comes in, and it's one that you would be very happy with, you shoot him, then you like let him go um, expire, and then here comes this monster deer, and you're like, dang, you know what? If uh, out of city, would he still come through? Well, you go to the technology we have now. You got cameras. I mean, you can tell the time, the patterns, how much they're changing, and all that stuff. And I mean, it does help out. But you also got to have a starting point as what to look for in the woods to put your cameras on. And that, and then I mean, standing there shed hunting. I mean, sheds will show you like a travel route or a bedding area or anything. And it might not even be a spot that you've ever even thought about. And it could be a, a gold mine that you've missed that could help you for the next year. Can we back that up a second, Jeremy? You said you got to know where to, what to put the cameras on, you said. What does that mean? Um, like what a place might, on what kind of food source, like, you know, I mean, different times of the year. I mean, something like acorns or like you've got a honeysuckle ticket or persimmons. You can tell which one they're using more and concentrate on one separate, you know, areas of the woods like, from one end of the woods, you've got your persimmons, you know, like a, you got a, another uh, end of the woods that's holding all your acorns or your white oaks or whatever. I mean, you see where your deer concentrate at more. I mean, they say that a persimmon's like candy to deer, and I've seen a lot more deer this year on acorns than I have on persimmons. Interesting. So, Very interesting. So you just—it sounds like you're you're a steward of the outdoors, like you pay attention to little things. Right. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, the small, the small veins lead to the big pictures most of the time. Um, the area that I shot this deer in, um, it's probably, I've got a, it's about a 330 acre farm and 300 acres of it's on one side of the road. And this little bitty 30 acre spot that I'm hunting where I'm at, it's got a creek running through it. Yeah. There's very, very, very few acres in there. The good thing that I've got here is the farmer that joins me on one side, he's logged it and, um, he don't let nobody at all hunt. It's like a sanctuary right there. 
And then the guy that joins from the other end, he's got the food and stuff up there, but they don't bow hunt or nothing like that. And um, I've got the water source. I mean, the creek runs all the way through my farm. But there's uh, food right across the road from me. There's a little bit of a spot of CRP ground or sage grass, like a bedding area. And they just funnel up and down that creek, coming back and forth from the bedding area or going to the food. And I'm just at the pinch point of all of it right there. And, I mean, it's been... It's been a very, very good farm for me. Gotcha. I've hunted the farm probably for, I mean, I've hunted, that's where I killed my first deer at, was on the same farm as I'm hunting now, and that my little boy took his deer on. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's always a great feeling, ain't it? So you've got a good yeah. spot, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, so far. I mean, I'm very lucky that I haven't had to lease it or anything like that. Um, the way we come across this farm is the guy was at the back of the farmer, and during the wintertime, my dad used to have a, a mulch company where they grind mulch and we took it to all the nurseries and stuff and in the winter time all that slowed down because all the landscaping slowed down so uh dad would haul tobacco for this guy to the cell floor and he would try to pay dad and dad's like no you know he's like just let me hunt he's like that'll be plenty he said i'll haul tobacco as long as you raise it and that guy's like that's a deal so i mean that's where i grew up hunting i mean i know that area like the back of my hand and some of the farms around i've lost but they all joined that one farm, but this farmer's always had this farm, and I don't see him selling out at all. And he's got a, he's let it all grow up. He used to run cows, and he took his cows off. And I mean, it's it's rabbit heaven, deer heaven, turkey heaven, whatever you want. It's a, it's a sportsman's paradise right there, and I'm just very fortunate to have it and keep it as long as I have. Make sure you get me the address to that before we get off this podcast, if you don't mind. <laughs> hey, come down. I'll take you. <laughs> Whoa. All right, now we're talking. Right. I'm not. I'm not too far away from you. I might take you up on that, Jeremy. That's fine. I've got a camera out right now. I'm trying to find one for my little boy. Uh, we've had some tough luck. I hunted with him all gun season, and he likes to shoot that muzzle. He's only eight years old, but I tell you what, he shoots pretty good for an eight pointer and or for an eight year old eight pointer. So he missed a he missed a good eight the last day of gun season, but I'm gonna try to get him on get him on one here the late muzzle on the last freeze day. In December, it'll be after Christmas. But I mean, he's just as dedicated as I am. I mean, I can't, I can't go anywhere. He's out there putting out minerals, checking cameras. He's out there with me just every time that I have him. He's, he's right by me. That's, that's something I enjoy. I don't, I don't push it on him. If he wants to go, he's more than welcome to go. If he wants to stay at the house, hey, we'll stay at the house. But what, what's your boy's name, Jeremy? Logan. Logan. Yes. Sir. Well, shout out to Logan and good luck here coming up uh, the rest of the season. We're gonna give it our best. Uh, oh. I have a feeling that's that's just like, of course you are. I mean, it's, <laughs> you're going to be out there no matter what. Oh, yeah. We don't have to push you, prod you, encourage you. You're there, man. It's in your head. Yeah. It's in your I'm, blood. I'm deer hunting. I mean, even whenever I'm turkey hunting, I'm still deer hunting. All right, absolutely. You do that, too. Interesting. I do oh, that yeah. I do that hunt, same thing. Coyote hunt. It's all connected, right? It's just, I mean, that's the point is that all this stuff is connected. One season, I mean, the seasons come and go, but it's all one big season, and you're always picking up yep. clues and tips on what's happening in each part of your woods that you're, you're, you're hunting or scouting. You're all, you never stop. You never stop scouting is, is what it comes down to. No, sir. I, I, I stay in there as much as I can. If I'm not working, I'm, I'm in the woods. Well, God's willing to let me go, I'll, I'll keep going. I mean. I don't plan on changing. <laughs> gotcha. I don't blame you. Let's um let's start breaking down some of your your setup here. I'm looking for clues as to or some other clues. We've got some we got one good piece of this puzzle is that you got a really good spot and that you're surrounded by this uh 
it's not really a protected area, but it's it's a sanctuary of sorts, and you're right at the point of it with your land and your creek. Is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir, it is. So that's a big piece of the puzzle. But just because you're there doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. There's got to be some other stuff that you do in preparation. I'd like Dusty to kind of break down the your gear setup and all that stuff that you think you do specific to you to make you successful in the field. Yeah, one thing, I mean, time, time's a big, a big part of it. Preparation, uh, I use an infraction deer mineral. It's really, it's really helped my deer a lot. I can, I mean, helps the health of the herd also, you know. I mean, it's not all about harvesting an animal. It's about hunting and keeping, you know, keeping your animals healthy. If, you know, giving them what they need to grow the antlers and to keep their immune system and all that up, you know. Um, we know old Dusty Clark down there from Infraction. Yeah, he's a good guy. I, I got hooked up with him last year. And, it, I, I mean, it's... His product's working. I mean, there's no, there's, he's second to none, and I'm glad that he's doing good for himself. You know, what's interesting, as we're having this conversation, Dusty and I are live on Facebook. We've been tweeting on our, or uh, Facebooking on our accounts, saying that we were talking to you tonight. And so far, Pat Howard has jumped in. Uh, Dusty Clark has jumped in. Uh, the only person we haven't, haven't heard from yet is Allison. Uh, just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Yeah, I, I talked to Allison a few times. Uh, I wrote a <clears throat> wrote a story about the hunt for this deer after I harvested him. And, you know, just told the ups and downs and basically, like, what well, I'm kind of telling y'all about, you know, how I prepared for it and stuff like that and just about the chase for him. I mean, like chasing the dream. You know, he got a – last year, I'd say he was probably a 150-inch deer. And, I mean, just – chasing an animal like that there's not very many deer around this county that's that size and right absolutely let's get in a little more detail we're going to start out what kind of camouflage are you wearing jeremy i use a mossy oak breakup a moss with infinity i use a scent blocker camo uh, i really like it it keeps me concealed very well i mean there's different different times of the year i'll switch out to different patterns uh, early season i like the infinity and then, like right now, this late in the season, I'll use a tree stand, which colors no leaves. And this time of the year, late season, most time, if I'm bow hunting, I'm going to get up in the air and just hang out and see what I can do. All right. I, I, I got to agree with you on the mossy, mossy oak breakup infinity. It's unbelievable, the, the patterns. Great stuff. You got any particular boots you wear out there? Um, I, lacrosse brand is what I, I use, the Alpha Burleys. Um, I usually, I don't get the insulated ones because I don't, the weather here don't ever get cold enough to need insulated boots, really, to double up on the socks, you know. But, right, yeah, absolutely. That's Kentucky for you. That's great weather there. Yeah, so, uh, my, my, go my, ahead. Nikon binoculars, um, I use them a lot. I mean, my farthest looking in the spot that I'm hunting, I can probably see 30 yards, 35 mostly, because it starts to get thick, but Using the Nikon binoculars, you know, you can get that extra little bit in the woods and you can you can see a deer, you know, if you're standing in the brush and you're looking, taking your time, looking like you need to be, I mean, they're crystal clear and they, they work. And I mean, I, I was using them whenever I actually first spotted this deer this year. But okay, okay. Do you, do you store your hunting uh, clothing in any kind of storage unit? Yes, sir. I put it in a scent-free bag, you know, uh, Whenever I get ready to wash my camo, I'll wash the washer out three or four times. Then I'll, I'll wash it in a dead downwind detergent. Then I'll dry it in the uh, in the uh, with a dry dead downwind dryer sheet, <clears throat> or 
I'll just hang it outside. I'll wash it off and I'll hang it outside for two or three weeks. If it rains on it, it rains on it, whatever, let it <laughs> dry out. Is there, is there is there any particular soap that you use in the in the machine? Are you in the in the what name in the machine? Yeah, like when you wash your when you when you go through the washing machine, what what kind of soap do you yeah. use? To, I use the uh, the dead down wind. Is okay, what I use. gotcha. Okay, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's say you get uh, you get closer to season, and you said that you put your clothing out for a couple of weeks outside and just let the weather beat it up and. You know, do you think that helps you by doing that? Do you, you think that maybe it gives you an edge on uh, getting the scent out by letting it rain and just the weather taking over the clothing? Yes, in a way, yeah, I do because I mean, there's no more, there's no more natural smell than being outside. You know, I mean, if you've got it in a house or anything, like from the time that it goes from outside, I mean, I go outside and I drop it in my scent-free tote and it goes in my truck. And it don't. And whenever I get to my get to the woods, I get the tote out. I'll get ready, and I just throw my other clothes in the truck, and I fold my tote back up outside of my truck, stick it back in there. Then I go hunt. Whenever I get done hunting, I come back and I pull the tote out, put my can on stuff back in my tote, shut it back in there. And I, I mean, I don't go and get gas. I don't drive in my vehicle. I don't do none of that stuff in my camo. It's, it's for the woods. Yeah, that's something that's very often overlooked. Uh... When you're after a 190-inch buck like yourself harvested, you you can't make mistakes from the from the woods to the car, from the house to the woods. You know, it, it's that that's a that's something I will point out that you know often a hunter doesn't realize how important it is the prep to actually go to the woods versus you know from the house to to going in the car, then from the car going into the woods. That right. that's that's a major major point there that uh, you know i'm glad you mentioned that because that there's a lot of room for air from your house to the woods yeah yes there is i i, I tell you i never did i i would wash my camo and i would throw it in a tote <clears throat> and then a few years back my cousin man, he's a diehard hunter also and he guides elk hunts and all that stuff out in new mexico he's like he's like he's like you ought to put it outside and i was like why and he got to telling me the same thing i was telling y'all about you know that's the most natural thing i mean rains no scent and he's like, you know, he's like, that's just another step. He's like, what you're doing is fine. He's like, that's just another step to maybe help me. So I don't know if it helps or not, but, you know, it'd be worth a try. And then I started doing it, and, I mean, I'm seeing and killing deer, but hey, I'll, I'll take any advice I can get. And he's a little younger than me, but I tell you, he's done a lot of studying up, and he, he knows his hunting real well. And, you know, he's got a farm. There's one farm in between me and him that we hunt, that, and he's got leased also, and there's him and one more person that I share my, that's local, that I share my deer stuff with and my deer pictures and all of that. And, you know, I mean, we give each other feedback and we try to, you know, position, say, hey, I think it'd be better if we hunted, you hunted here. Or, you know, we keep each other informed about how the deer movement is and what folks are wearing and stuff like that. Right, that's awesome. Actually, you not, not, not go ahead, go ahead. He shot one of the deer that I had on camera this year. Uh, he, which come in late. I think it was after second muzzleloader to come in, but he shot it uh, this Kentucky gun seat, and he got to talking like, yeah, you know, look this deer. I said that deer looks familiar. I said I think it's the one I had on camera, and I tell you that's the first deer that I know of that's actually he's had on camera or killed that I've had down there. I mean, there's a lot of times that 
our bucks don't intertwine or cross, and I don't understand why with it being that close. But there's been a couple of instances that it, it has happened, and, you know, he's had one of my deer, or I thought I'd one of his. So, so you guys down there claiming your deer then? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's, it's kind of bragging rights, I guess. He, yeah, uh, right, right. He he got me here. I think it was back before. Yeah, it was back before uh, uh, bow season started. I had a uh, coon hunter. I was having two big deer come in. This deer that I harvested and one more big deer come in together, and I had a coon hunter come up on camera and. The deer I harvested went missing for a couple of weeks off my camera, but the other one was pretty regular. And he uh, he called me one day. He's like, you know, your big deer's at, and it's like two days before season opens. He's like, your big deer's up here on my camera. Um, <laughs> and he hadn't hung a set because he wasn't having no shooters or nothing on his camera up there, so he, wasn't, he didn't hang no set. And he said, I'm going this afternoon and hanging a set. He said, I'm going to get that deer. I was like, man, I thought, hey. Well, I said, we don't have deer. I was like, whoever's meant to kill it, deer's going to be the one that kills it. I don't care how long you watch it, how long you fed it. I don't care what you've done. I mean, that deer's going to change patterns. And if it's meant for you to kill it, it's going to kill it. I was like, I'd just be happy for you to harvest it as I would for me. As long as he don't get run over or something like that, at least one of us will get to enjoy it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I've been accused of t- I've been accused of tying deer up and shooting them after I tied them up. You know, that <laughs> sounds familiar down there. Well, that's what you do. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, I wish it, this year I must have let too many loose. I guess you need some stronger <laughs> rope, apparently. Something. Okay, I'm I'm going to go with cable. There you go. <laughs> what, let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about your bow and, and what kind of bow are you shooting and, and get into the arrows and broadheads. Just kind of work us through that briefly and touch bases on it and maybe uh, tell us how long you've owned the bow and if you name your bow and, you know, all the good stuff about your bow. Um, man, I shot, I've shot Matthews since 2000. I mean, I've shot a lot of Matthews. I'm one of those that if I didn't trade every year, I was trading every other year, you know. But, um at the start, it was like January or February of this year, I went in to get a new Matthews at the, my local bow, bow shop hunters den over in Russellville. And I went in and I was talking to Alan. I was like, man, I was like, I'm going to try one of these new Matthews. And I think it was like a, a chill or something else. And I was like, so I shot it. And I was coming back out. I was like, man, that's a pretty sweet bow. And I was like, I want to check out these elites. So I want to try one of those. So I picked that elite up, man, and just from just from the start, I mean, just holding my hand, it felt it felt like the boat. It's like and a I, new it's like a new pair of expensive gloves. When you slide them on, it just felt right. Yep, I went out there, man. I shot it. It felt good. It anchored good. And I mean, whenever you draw up, whenever you draw back, I mean, it was there. I mean, it was like a solid wall. There was no. You know, trying to run or anything like that. I've had a couple of matches. You pull back and you just let your arm just relax a little bit and it tries to run. Man, that elite, it's like a rock. It's, and I don't think there's another boat compared to it. I really don't. Um, it's, it's a little longer boat because I like to shoot 3D too. It's a elite energy 35 is what it is. And I mean, I shot, shoot 3D, then I'll turn around and I go deer with it, you know. No kidding. Yep. So kind of a multi multi purpose bow and works uh, for both then. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Awesome. Sure does. What what kind uh, of ar- what kind of arrows are you pushing? I'm shooting the black eagle carnivores. Black eagle Very carnivores. Low. Wow. Car- yes, sir. I'm saying carbon, correct? Yes, sir. It, it gotcha. is a carbon arrow, and it it's not like uh, some of your other carbon arrows. You know, I mean, they're not. They say carbon on, but they're not all carbon. You know, you can put a a flex on some of your carbon arrows. 
And, I mean, you can tell that it, it's going to have a little bit of a bend to it. I mean, it's not going to exactly go back to perfect shape because it's not all carbon. But I've done some reading up, and uh, the uh, black eagle carnivores and your gold tips are, from the readings that I've read, uh, they're the best, you know, all carbon. They're, if you flex them, they're going to go back to the shape. And I, it's like a point zero 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 one straightness. straightness. And I put them on, and I put a muzzy on the end of it, and it's all over. I mean, it, it tunes just fine. I run a helical, a 30-degree helical on my veins, or on my blazers. That's what I shoot on my carnivores. And, man, they, they stack them in there. What uh, what kind of muzzies are you shooting? Uh, they're the, I can't think of the muzzy. Yeah. No, no biggie. Are they fixed or mechanicals? Yeah, they're fixed. They're fixed ways. They got a little bit of a... Helical on the blades of them also. Muzzy had just come out with them this year, and uh, I picked them up over at Allen's. He was telling me about them, and I tried them. I don't, I've never shot a mechanical broadhead, and the reason being, if I get a shot on a deer, I don't want to have to wonder, well, I wonder if this damn thing's going to open up. If it's going, is it going to, is it going to do this job? Because I want to take any kind of screw up. Out of the out of the equation. I want to know if I mess up, it's my fault. It's not because I had a mechanical malfunction, you know, like my, you know, my sights was loose or my broadhead didn't open, and now this deer's going to run off and I'm never going to find him. I want to know that everything's legit. That whenever it comes time for me to do my job, it's me. It's not my bow. It's not my equipment. Everything's on me. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. I I, I see that. You know, that's uh, everything's tuned in, ready to go. That, only part, you know, only fault can be is you, right? Right, right. Which I mean, I've I've seen pictures of these guys that shot these deer with these rage, and my goodness, the holes that they put in. But what happens whenever you go to a shoulder or something like that with them? You know, uh, I've shot deer in the shoulder. I've shot my second buck, my first buck I ever shot. I shot him in the shoulder, and that mud, I mean, it just went. It done its job, you know. But I mean, not all, not all broadheads, and not, you know, I mean, just depending on what kind of luck you're having that day, you know. Uh, shooting him in the shoulder, right in the shoulder, because some some broadheads don't like bone too well. Right, yeah, absolutely. Have you been shooting muzzy the whole time then? Yes, sir, I sure have. I right shot on. a Exodus a little bit, but I shot a, one thing I shot with those was a turkey, and he didn't go too far himself. But, yeah, I've always shot muzzy, and I doubt I ever changed. Right on, gotcha. Yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. It seems like once you find something that works for you, you, you stick with it and stand behind it. That's, let's get let's let's get in a little more of a setup as far as where you're hunting and, and, and kind of what not necessarily where unless you want to give me the GPS coordinates we can we're way good with that but uh, let's get in a little bit about tell us a little about like the terrain what say you're you're good to your woods and what, what do we kind of get us in the, the whole experience of what you give us a visual of what your setup is and, and and what the terrain is right there where you particularly harvest this buck. Yeah, see if you can get us a, uh, like a, what was it, paint us a picture of the landscape that we're dealing with here, just like we'd never seen it before. Describe it to us like right. like we, we can't see it. All right. Uh, it's mostly whenever whenever you come into the road where I usually park at, there's a bunch of grown-up cedars with some uh, sage grass and and what it does, it runs down to right at the edge of the creek, and then it turns into hardwoods. And that hardwoods, <clears throat> the creek kind of splits up part of the hardwoods. There's probably like a 20-yard 20, well, 20 section right before you get to the creek of the hardwoods, and it runs from one end of the farm all the way to, to a road. 
and then your creek, my creek runs straight through there, and that's where all the bottleneck and the pinch point is. And it's mostly just undergrowth, really, and small trees and stuff down around where I harvested my deer. And as you go back up to the uh, south south end of my farm, it opens up and it runs up onto a ridge, and the creek bends on around, and then it turns into a some like I just got a few acre trees and some persimmons and it just the ridge just runs all the way along until it gets to the next farm down there then it just drops off to uh, to flat and on the bottom side of the creek it's got like there's some cedars cedar thickets and there's a on the other side of the farm where it joins right there's a bunch of laid up treetops and a bunch of it's mostly just dead there I mean if you were to take an overview of the whole farm where I killed my deer and in that section it's mostly just like a big bedding area and, I mean, there's just not no really open woods. It's just a thicket. Like I said, you see, like, 20 or 30 yards. Uh, I mean, and that's, a, that's a, the farthest shot that you would have in there. There's no 50-yard shots or nothing like that. And that's sitting on the ground. That's being down and eye level with it that you can have that far of a shot. But if you go up on the other south end side of the farm, it opens up uh, a little more acreage and stuff like that. And, and the deer use it. But I've concentrated on this end. Where I'm at, I mean, I've run cameras all over the farm, and most of my deer movement, my scrapes, man, there's scrapes there every year. I can almost, I can go tie a ribbon on the trees, and they hear that there's going to be a scrape, and it's going to be probably one of the most active scrapes in the area. I mean, I'm talking about like the size of a car hood, and I can, I can get within a couple of trees of where that scrape's going to be at every year. And what I do, I mean, I'm just, I hunt right in between where them scrapes are and their bedding area. And I went in there and I hung up a, a millennium lock on. And I'm telling you, this tree probably ain't, it probably ain't 10 inches around, 12 inches around. I mean, it's not big at all. But I hung a set in it this year. And uh, I also took a big game blind. And uh, there's some small saplings right up next to the creek. And I went into the center of them and I cut them out. And I took my big game blind and I sit in there and I just cleared out a couple of shooting lanes. And I just camouflaged it back in left all the other little trees growed up around it. And that was basically for rainy days and whenever I had my boy. And if the wind was blowing 100 mile an hour, I'd, I'd go hunt it if I wanted to hunt it. But I try to play the wind also whenever I'm, I'm hunting. I mean, but it's hard. You sit there and look at camera pictures and you see deer on this end of the farm and you see all your deer on this. It's hard to leave this one area to go hunt that other area whenever you've got deer like I've had the past few years on camera. Just one spot. And I mean, it's just like it's a sanctuary on that one hole for some reason. But it's always early season, like the first few weeks of bow, maybe up to the first muzzleload, and that's in October. But after that, I mean, they shut off because the acorns start falling, and they do move. They move to on to the other farm next to me and stay over there. I mean, I have very, very few deer pictures, and they usually start coming back in about the second week after gun season goes out here. So I'm pretty psyched to go see what kind of deer stayed and made it through gun season and moved in to my spot because I, I keep a log and a journal also while I'm, you know, in different parts and marked spots on my phone, different parts of the farm, like the bedding areas that I think they're using more or where there's more sun that's moved from this spot to that spot and why I think it's moved. I mean, I keep notes. I keep uh, all different, but I keep it all real down. I, I think that's a very important part of, of whitetail hunting in a particular area is to take the notes, take the information, log it down, and refer back to it yearly. I mean, there's times that, you know, I can talk myself and Jeremy sound like you're very similar to some other people about, you know, what's going on in the woods right now. And they say, well, my spot's dead. I'm I'm moving out of this area because I haven't seen deer. And and I can clearly get the same feeling 
but I can go back, refer to my notes that stated, you know, even if it's in a different area or a different spot, stating that, you know, this particular week, maybe this past two weeks, I I didn't have much deer movement the previous years. It's just, it's just the the notes keep my mental game together. And and it sounds like you're the same way. You know, you can refer back and, and figure out why you're not seeing deer. That's what I that's what I do. I mean, I did. I got pretty bummed out whenever it was getting close to most of them and opening a gun because I was so psyched about you know I knew what kind of deer had been coming in there, uh, and I just I knew it was going to be the best opportunity for my little boy. But we ended up having to move across the across the road onto the other part of the farm to hunt. And I mean, there's deer moving there. I mean, there's still standing beans and stuff like that. Which this was the first year they'd ever put beans or anything in there. Right. Uh, the deer got to those that I mean, it's just a natural funnel um, on that side, and if they're going to cross that road or go from farm to farm, they've got to come through there. Right. What what kind of, what kind of tree stand are you? You want to hang on a ladder? Tell us a little bit about that. It's a lock on. It's a millennial. I mean, that's just like sitting in your sitting in your recliner at home. I mean, it's comfortable. Uh, my it's cousin a- had uh, he told me about them, and I mean, they're very simple. You know, I was always complaining about, you know, once you get up there, you got to pull the whole stand up, you got to hold it, you got to put the ratchet strap around it or chain it or whatever. And he got to get these millenniums, and he was getting from uh, Hunter's Den over that, over in Russellville. And I was like, I want to try me one. I want to go over and get one. So I went over there and picked one up. You, you climb up, put your stacking sticks up there, you climb up there, and you got a, uh, it's a log chain with like a little bracket. It's a chain, and you wrap your little chain around the tree and tighten it up. And that bracket sits there, then you take your stand, and I mean, that stand is super light. You uh, you just climb up, and you hook your, it's got a, like a little spike that's on the back of the stand, like a, on the bar. You just stick it down in that bracket, man, and it's there. It's, it's, it's a one-man show, you know, I mean, sometimes you like to have somebody up there to help you hang stands, because you're going to have to fight with a 30-pound lock on, you know, trying to get it up there and get it right. up the wings and stuff. Absolutely. Millennium's the only way to go on lock homes. I mean, I, I really do like them. Really do. Awesome. Let's get into the hunt, man. Let's get in that uh, the day. What day did you harvest or kill this 190-inch Kentucky Giant? I killed him September the 14th. Ed. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to take you back, Jeremy, to September the 14th, 2014. Let's, let's kick it off to, from the time you got up. Let's roll from there. What, how, how did the day start out? And uh, let's get into your day that you killed this monster, Kentucky Giant. Uh, you know, I hunted opening weekend, and it was it was kind of a shocker because I didn't see hardly, I didn't see neither one of my big deer, seen some does. Uh, and I knew I hunted some during that week, and I had a good feeling about the weekend coming, but I wasn't, you know, 110% sure. I had my, I shot, been shooting my bow, keeping, you know, keeping in tune, and I woke up uh, that Saturday, I was the 13th, I uh, woke up, you know, my little, I woke my little boy up, he went hunting with me that morning and that afternoon, and we didn't have much luck, seen some does and stuff like that, but it was still a great hunt, seen some good deer movement, and um, that night, I, he was, uh, we was talking about going back the next morning, so went to bed early, got up, I mean, I woke up before the alarm went off, and I was trying to get him up to go, and he wouldn't wake up, so... I just left and I was kind of running, kind of behind, but not really. Um, I eased out, got out there to the, got out there to the farm, and the way I'd been going into this farm, I just walked straight down, go straight into my stand. And I thought, you know what? What am I doing? Is there some reason that this deer is showing up on camera? Whenever I'm not here, but whenever I am here, he won't come in. I said, could I be bumping him going in? 
So what I did this time, I just walked in off the ridge down to the creek, and I hit the creek, and I took the creek all the way down to where I go up into my stand at. Because the creek, it ain't over knee deep, you know, certain times of the year. And, I mean, this year, I mean, it was low, and it was a little bit up over over your ankle. But I walked in, and I went into the blind because of where the wind was blowing that morning. And I uh, climbed in there and got settled. <clears throat> Daylight come. Here come a few does. And some, one of them had a set of twins, you know. They was all playing around and stuff. And the turkey got the pitching down. And, you know, I was just enjoying enjoying the moment, you know. But I was still looking for that deer. And every few minutes I'd pick up my binoculars and I'd scan the brush and just seeing if he wasn't standing over looking, checking in. But, you know, the deer moved pretty good up to about, I'd say, 7 or so, 7.30. And then it was just like you turned them off. And, you know, I got to thinking, I was like, well, maybe the way that I come in that had no effect or nothing like that. And, uh, you know, I was just sitting back enjoying, enjoying being out in the woods, relaxing, just being away from the everyday life, you know. Right, absolutely. And um, it was about 8.30, 8, 8.30 somewhere at night. Um, I had some turkey working down the creek bank from the north. And uh, I was just sitting there in that big game blind, just sitting there looking at, you know, studying them, just watching them feed down through there. And while I was sitting there watching the, the turkey feed to me, a deer just walks in between my binoculars, like in a vision, and I could tell it had a rag. So I took my binoculars down, and I was like, oh, you know, there's a buck. And I, as soon as I turned on it, man, I seen the kick. He got a flyer that comes out on his, on that one side, and I called call a visual of it. I said, that, that's him, that's him. So I put my binoculars down, and I mean, my heart was up in my throat. And the only thing I could think of, I was like, you know, I'm prepared for this shooting. I was like, well, manly and getting myself together to make make this happen. I said, I'm going to have to put myself together. I said, because, you know, this don't nobody get a second shot at a deer of that class. I mean, right. So let, let, me, let me take this back real quick. So you're sitting there, you're glassing turkeys, and a deer walks in between you and the turkeys, and you see it in your binoculars walk by. Yeah, he uh, he comes up out of the creek. He comes up, he crosses out of the CRP, like where I park my truck, and he, he crosses the little creek crossing and just walks up into the part of the woods where I'm at, where my set's at. That's crazy. That is, that's real crazy. Wow. All right, keep going. We're, I'm All into right. this thing now. So we got him in the binoculars. So I'm sitting there, and I, I check him out, and I find it, and I know it's him, so I set my binoculars down, and I... You know, I, I started having flashbacks of what happened last year. I mean, it was, it was the deer coming in last year, and I was shook up. I mean, I, I'd practice, you know, 25-yard shots all year. I mean, I was stacking them. And I was like, you know, I took the shot for granted last year. I mean, he come in. I had a probably about a foot in between two trees where he was standing broadside. I had no clue that I was even in there. And I just pun- I punched my release whenever I shot, and it smacked the side of the tree and went flying, and he takes off flying back through the woods, and I'm sitting there kicking myself in the head because that was a stupid, I should have, and you know, it was just a stupid mistake that I should have never made. So, so, but, so, you, so you missed this buck the previous year? Yeah, I missed him uh, the second second week of bow season last year. No kidding. Yes, so, are we in the same area, same farm, same area? Same area, same set, same everything. No kidding. Yes, sir. Oh, that, that's a dream, wow. man. And, I mean, after I missed him last year, I didn't hunt for a whole week just to hopefully get him back in that area. That's and crazy. actually, he did. He was back in that afternoon that I missed him on camera. But uh, he, he moved to nighttime. I mean, he was moving all nighttime from then on out. And he didn't go back to daytime until... This time of year, like right now, he started coming back during the day. But yeah, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't, they don't. The mature bucks tend to not like that meat missile flying by them. They don't, they, they know something's up. 
I had uh, I'd shot a 140-inch nine-pointer last year, last day of gun season. So, like I said, I mean, I left my cameras out, food out, all that stuff for them because I wanted to see what made it through the season and, you know, the rut and all that. But I had all that stuff planned in my mind, man. And you know how a deer does whenever there's turkey around. He'll watch them turkey, and if the turkey alert, you know, he's going to be checking out and see what's going on and getting the heck out of there. Yeah, it's like uh, having uh, scout soldiers out when you got a uh, flock of turkeys out there. Yeah. Those uh man, those turkeys they I mean they're just piling uh, those will be in full size yards in my blind and no kidding. they were just walking straight in front of me and I I had my bow up and I just I just put my head down and just squinted my eyes and I mean I just I was praying to God that everything went right this time, you know, because it was just like a dream. I mean, it was. You don't ever have a chance at a deer that class two years in a row and I was just wanting to make everything right. And those turkey they finally cleared me and I turned to look to see where he was at and he was gone. And what he had done, he walked underneath my deer stand and made it around to the thicket in front of me. So he, I, I, picked, I picked him up walking down the edge, and there's a little bitty logging road that, uh, that runs kind of center of those woods that's kind of it's been kind of washed out or whatever you want to call it. And uh, those deer use that to travel the center of the woods, and that's what he had done. And he was walking up the road, and he steps out, and he's dead in front of me at 30 yards. And I'm still trying to gather myself, and he turns, and he walks like he's going to walk to the south end of my farm, but he goes up, and that's how my camera shows him, too, is coming in from the south end. But what he was doing, he was uh, he's walking down that thicket, and the camera wasn't catching him there, and he's making a loop around one of these trees, and he's coming into the mineral and all that that's right in front of me. And he stepped right there, and he stepped behind that one tree. I was like, it's now or never. So I drew back, I got my anchor point, and he walked out. He still had no clue. The turkey had already cleared us. And uh, I put that pin right behind his front shoulder, and then he, he just decides he wants to quarter and walk up into me some more. So I hate a quarter, I hate a quarter and two shot. I, I just despise it. Hmm. And I was like, I've got this deer in front of me. I can't let down now. And, I mean, I was locked. I mean, I was still solid, but I, I was keeping the... The anxiety, I was trying to keep it pushed out of my head, and, you know, and I picked it right up in front of his front shoulder. And as soon as I got it anchored on, I mean, I let it go. And it was all down here from there. I heard it smack him, and whenever it smacked, he ran sideways about three or four steps, and he turned and he went away. And uh, as, as the moment whenever my darn knees started, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to walk out the blind or not. I couldn't. <laughs> I sent my bow down, my knees was knocking. I couldn't, I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was tripping, and the first thing I'd done, I picked up my phone, man, because I tell, like, I tell Pat everything, you know. Uh, Pat puts out great cameras, and I send him pictures of deer, turkey, or whatever all the time, and he's known about this deer for a couple of years, you know, ever since I even missed him last year. And uh, I picked up the phone, and I text Pat, and I'm like, dude, I got him. I said, stickers are dead. And uh, Eric, my cousin, he was in New Mexico, and I text him. I said, I got him. He's like, the big one, and my phone goes dead. <laughs> so so I, uh, I get all my stuff together. I don't even go look for my hair, look for the deer or nothing. I take off to my truck just as hard as I can go. I run up there. I plug my phone in, <clears throat> and one of the guys that hunts the farm right across the road, uh, he was up there hanging up a stand. So I ran down there, jumped over the fence. I took off. I whistled for him. He, he whistled back, and I took off running up there. I said, man, I got him. 
He's like, the big one? I was like, yeah. He's like, I thought you got shot that deer last week. I said, I'll tell you the story on that later. <laughs> so uh, we go, we run, we, he goes with me, and I call one of my good buddies, Josh West. He was, uh, he's one of my buddies I've hunted with my whole life. We grew up hunting. You know, he's he's 110% bow hunting. I mean, he, he loves it. And I called him, and I said, I got the deer. And uh, he's like, well, I said, you can come at me, track him, whatever if you want to. So he, he was on his way, and me and Scott walked back down, and, I got to find a little bit of blood. He's like, so tell me about this deer. Well, uh, he said, I thought you gunshot the deer. I said, I'm going to tell you like this. I said, you know, hey, you say you've got friends. And I said, but whenever it comes here, you have no friends. I said, I've heard of people trying to move in around me and try to hunt it there and get permission to the same farm as I've got. And I know people that hung stands on the property lines because they've seen this deer. And I said, I did tell people that I got shot this deer. And I said, the reason is because that would make them quit hunting. And it did. I mean, they, they was taking down the stands like the next couple of days. And they, and they sit there and tell you, I, didn't, I ain't trying to hunt that deer. I want to see you get it. No, you don't hang a stand on the property line hoping to get a shot, you know, and put a camera and corn and everything else out not if you ain't going to hunt a deer. But I said, it worked. I said, I don't care what they believe, man. I said, I know where he's at and I know whose wall he's going to be on. I said, if we can find him. And uh, we walked down. After we got done talking, we walked down. I found some blood that had some, you know, bubbles in it. And I was like, well. And I, he's like, where'd you shoot him? And I said, man, I aimed right, for the, right in front of the front shoulder, hoping it would come out behind the back one on the other side, or behind the front one on the other side. And he's like, all right. He's like, well, it looks like he might have got a lung. And then uh, Josh calls, and he's there, and I show him the blood. And he's like, well, it looks like you got a lung or something. There's bubbles in it. We go to tracking the deer, and, I mean, we're going through some crap. I mean, it looks like, I mean, it's just a bunch of tree branches and thick crap. I mean, he went in, I don't know, some a rabbit wouldn't even could him go in, it looks like at times. But I got through, I think I was running on adrenaline, but I got through there, man, and there was one part of the wood, there was an old dead tree, and there's blood, and I was like, there's blood going over this tree. I'm going to walk up here and check it out and see if I can find it. And Josh was like, he's got to be in here somewhere. So I walk up there, man, I step up on that tree, and there, there he lays. And first thing I said was, oh, my God. And they're like, what, is that him? I was like, yeah. And, I mean, it was just it was just everything just hit me all at once, you know. It was, it was kind of emotional but, and happiness and, you know, hard work and all that stuff finally paid off. But seeing a, a monster like that laying in front of you, I mean, the first person you got to thank is God because, I mean, he's going to give us, our lives and these animals to hunt. I mean, you know, and he's the creator. And uh, you know, he's the one that wakes us up every morning and says, "Hey, you know, go live today." You know, I mean, I was just thankful that he woke me up that morning and let me do something that that I like to do. And I was very, you know, being thankful for friends to come help me look for the deer and just everything paid off. And it was it was a wild experience, you know. I mean. He yep. is a good deer, and everybody's like, and everybody said, they're like, you wouldn't be able to tell me nothing. If you might as well quit hunting now if you kill a deer like that. I said, it's not about, you know, it's not about how big the animal is or what he scores. That's what everybody, everybody's caught up on anymore, is what a deer scores. And that's not what it's about. It's about putting in your work and your work paying off, whether it's a 190-inch deer or if it's a 120-inch deer, you know. Right, absolutely. I mean, right. It's just absolutely. all about what pays off. That's awesome. Yeah, that's an awesome story. What a great story. Jeremy, that's that's uh, one of the most mesmerizing stories I think we've ever heard on the Big Buck Podcast. I was with you word for word. It's unbelievable, Jeremy, that Jay's quiet the whole story there. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's just like a... I don't know, it's just like a book. I mean, play by play. I mean, just feeling it, you know. I mean, 
it's kind of like the other podcast I was listening to the other day. She, uh, whenever she was explaining her hunt, you know, whenever you tell about a hunt or harvesting a deer like that, you want to tell every step because every step means so much to you. And it's just hard to leave a leave a spot out or, you know, a part out of the story about a hunt on a deer like that of a lifetime. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, it, it was mesmerizing and and. Yeah, I I, uh, I clam up when I get interested in stuff. It's my natural behavior. So, Jeremy, you got me, man. You got me hook, line, and sinker. That's good. Um, yeah, I, I was uh, listening to Jody's podcast the other day, and yeah. I tell you, she, she really went into detail about hers also. And, I mean, you could, you know, you hear stories or you read stories in magazines and you just get burnt out. But then you've got the ones that really keep you on the edge you want to know what's happening happening next or you think you know what's going to happen then it's something totally different happens and that's that's what keeps it interesting and you know that's that's what hunting and everything's about staying on your toes and just living to see what what happens next and what's going to go on in the future right right uh, it's it's one of the things like you know we talk about past pro- podcasts and we we're talking with, with jeremy knight who obviously killed a monster buck but it's the story that's told by the hunters that is that's so grasping you know that that that's like the definition of the big buck podcast we want the story in detail from from the start to the finish we want to know everything we want it to be like you're right there sitting next to the person that that released the arrow or pulled the trigger you know that's what's awesome and jeremy that was a great story and man i was it was hard for me to kind of chime in because i was so involved with the story myself i appreciate it it's man i'm I like listening to y'all's podcasts. I mean, they're very informative. You know, I pick up things that I learn, and I hope that maybe somebody can pick up something from this one and learn something from it, you know. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all miss. We all lose deer. But, hey, we're here to help one another out, and that's what hunters need to do, stick together instead of, you know, going against each other and trying to outdo or cut in on somebody else. We need to stick together because the way this presidential stuff is about guns and all that stuff you can't ever tell if we all stick together instead of fighting each other i think you know we'll, we'll all be good Com- absolutely completely agree with that statement hunters got to band together uh, and you know there's so many people trying to take away our privileges and, and and make it hard for us and listening to jody tell her story with the passion that she did listening to you jeremy tell the story with the passion you did, this this whole love of the outdoors and hunting and deer hunting is alive and well. And because there are so many against us, there's only one thing to do, and that's to stick together. Right, it is. I mean, we we're all we're all not perfect. You know, we all make mistakes, and there is. I mean, there's there's people that call themselves hunters that makes mistakes, that, and that's what everybody wants to see. Somebody make a mistake, whether it be a hunter or just anything, anything that the media or anything can feed off of to blow up to make somebody look bad, that's what they look for. They don't ever look for the good in what they do. You know, like hunters for the hunters for the hungry. I mean, they feed, they give to families that, you know, that don't have much, but you don't ever hardly hear nothing about that. But you see somebody that talks about, well, he's got blood all over him in that picture. They want to knock on that. Well, that's animal cruelty or, man, it's all part of hunting. I mean, there's good. There's not always bad and everything. There's plenty of good if people would look at the good instead of always the negative. I mean, the world would be a lot better off in hunt world and the world period. I mean, everyday life. But you've got the media that on News Channel 5 or whatever, man, they're always feeding on the negative stuff. Oh, yeah. It's, it's constant. It's just disgusting. 
But no, we're we're glad to have you on our show, and man, we we just love what you're doing. Congratulations on shooting a, a ginormous buck. Just couldn't be happier for you. Awesome, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. Absolutely. Um, any uh, any further questions for Jeremy Dusty? You got uh, you want Baker's brain anymore? I want to hear the best hunting tip you got, Jeremy. Ooh, good one. Best hunting tip I've got. The best, the very, <clears throat> the very best tip that you use season after season that makes you more successful in the, in the woods. Stay in the woods, stay focused, and never give up. That's one heck of a tip right there. That's, that's a couple of different tips, but that's, I mean, you got to stay in there and you got to stay dedicated. I mean, you can't, you can't get frustrated whether, you know, your big deer's been on camera that he's gone missing and you, something good's going to happen. If you do your homework and you stay with it, something good's going to come out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That that that's a fact right there. Yep. Yep. It's uh get out, stay out and and let it happen. Love it. Love it, yep. man. Well, Jeremy, this has been awesome, and I can't thank you enough. It is an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on our show. Uh you tell one heck of a good deer story and you're one heck of a great deer hunter, and I would love to have you back on again uh in the future as you continue down your quest to hunt down the big bucks and let us know kind of how you're doing it so we can hopefully hopefully learn a thing or two about how you did and, and, and basically put it into our repertoire of things uh, or how to hunt ourselves. Awesome. Sounds good. I hope you all have a good season also. Yeah, we're, we're trying. We're trying, brother. <laughs> so all you can do is put 110% into it and hope for the best. That's it. That's it. Yep. That is it. Yep. Well, man, I, I it, once again, it's just you know you hear a great deer story, and as you said, I was mesmerized and I shut my mouth, and that's a good indication that I'm in, I'm listening, I'm in tune, I'm listening to the whole breakdown. Yeah, I was thinking you fell asleep, but after I figured it out, you was freaking deep into that story. Uh-huh. I've been accused of falling asleep before because I got so quiet, but it's really just because I'm paying so so much attention. I'm focused. You know, that, that, that's what it's all about, Jay. It is. That, that, that's what we want out of, out of these stories, to really get you involved as a listener, get you involved in the story that's being told right in front of you. I mean, that yeah. that, that was one awesome story. Jeremy Knight, kudos for a monster buck in Kentucky. Yes, kudos for what you did in the field and what you did with us tonight on the mic. Just awesome. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when he said that it doesn't matter if it's a 120-inch deer or 190-inch deer, you put 110% into it to find it, man. You know, that that right there tells me that's a good hunter. That's it. The effort is uh, telltale of of the, the hunter's abilities and and just heart, you know, just the heart you have about this sport. Yeah, no doubt. It's a, you know, it's a dedication that when you hit the tree stand, good shot, bad shot, it doesn't matter. You you go the extra mile to locate that shot right? Yep. on that animal. You know, if that animal's wounded, you try to find it. And, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that you're not going to kill every deer you release an arrow at. It's yeah, not, it's not going to happen. I've, I've wounded deer before with arrows. Um, a couple of them and they're still, the, the, the memories are so vivid, um, of how it all went down. I, I, it, there was a, a, just bloodbath and that deer walked away. How do they do that? I don't know. They're, they're one of the toughest animals I've ever ran into. Mm-hmm. Had another yeah. one. I could see it, uh, basically landed in no man's land. I could see the arrow just bouncing around through the woods, disappearing. The no man's uh, land that we talked about last week. It's uh, it's one it's one of the things where you if you shoot and you wound one, 
you never make that shot again. Nope. That shot is never, ever going to be made again. And, it, you know, it takes a wounded deer to make you realize what kind of shot that you need to wait for. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's about placement. You get that arrow in the in the boiler room, and it'll shut down the engine. Now, th- there's an, here's another example of a deer. I shot a deer, a 35-yard shot at dusk from a climbing tree stand one year in a overgrown old logging road they just he was, he was just coming up the hill and crossed i heard the thwack of the of the arrow hitting the deer i thought i was in the kill zone turns out i wasn't the deer turned and ran southbound down the hill i could hear the crash 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 i knew the direction i had a direction of where it went not a single blo- drop of blood anywhere to follow the next day it was opening day of muzzleloader when I shot, it was the last day of uh, of the or the day prior to muzzleloader opening. My father in law came up, and we ended up. I had a direction, I had sound, I knew approximately where the last piece of sound came from. I knew where it went, but I did have had no blood trail whatsoever. We ended up doing like this grid search back and forth, back and forth, forth between a, a power line and and uh, basically an abandoned dirt road, and after a while. My father-in-law called me. He says, "Hey, I found that I found your arrow sticking in this deer down here in the swamp." And he had just basically seen the whites of the belly, but still no blood. And went down. Sure enough, it was the buck that I had shot the night before. Three hundred and fifty yards later, it's craziness. Yep, I shot one one time. Here's a story on my end. Shot one. Shot a pretty nice eight point. Probably two thousand seven eight ish. My brother went hunting with me. Go to the woods. I got a bucket 30 yards broadside, eating on corn. Hmm. I release an arrow. It falls short. Yep. Ten minutes later, he comes back to the corn pile, broadside, 30 yards. I release another arrow. It falls short. I'm down to my last arrow in my quiver. The buck walks right back towards me, straight on, (laughs) straight, straight head on, walking straight to me. He gets it about 15 yards I release another arrow, sticks him in the neck. <clears throat> it's the only shot I had. I, yep. I aimed for the esophagus dead center, hopefully to penetrate through the chest. Yep. I shoot. I see the deer run off. I see my fletching sticking out of his neck. The rest of the arrow is, is whatever, 20 inches deep. He runs off, goes into a thicket. It's all cedars, downhill. You know, I, I'm thinking, man, hopefully this works. This, this was a pretty deadly shot. I felt good when I released the arrow. Long story short, we go back to the truck, give the buck some time. I look at my bow, and the string's frayed. Hmm. Have no clue how it happened. Have no no idea it's there until I get to the truck. Yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I'm shooting short of the buck. So we go okay. back in. Gotcha. We go we go back into the woods. About two hours later, it's dark, and we we hunt for this buck. No blood, nowhere. We look and look and look. No blood. My brother's like, you didn't you didn't hit him. I'm like, I'm telling you, I shot this buck in the neck. I could see the fletchings was the only thing sticking out. Well, what had happened is that arrow went in and it sealed off, you know, the hide sealed around the arrow. It was a angling downhill shot. So I shot him, you know, on a downhill angle. So when the arrow went in, the the opening was higher than the actual damage. That buck ran about 250 yards down into a thicket. And the only reason we found that buck that night was my brother was down in there, 250 yards away from the shot, and he found something that looked like it was pushing itself downhill. Hmm. And still no blood. 
So he's literally on his hands and knees crawling through briars, cedars. It, it was the nastiest stuff I've ever got into. Yeah. So finally, about 40 yards into that, my buck was piled up right there. No kidding. If it wasn't been for us grid searching, pattern back and forth, right. circling, and he located in push marks, we probably would have never found that buck. Right. The, the grid search, and this brings up a good point, the grid search is a useful technique with a couple of people just gridding side, you know, back and forth, back and forth. It has recovered bucks. It recovered my buck. It recovered one of your bucks. It is a useful technique in a, in a buck where you have no blood, but you know you hit them. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's uh, it's something that worked for me and it's something to definitely try, especially if you're in the thick stuff and where you have zero visibility at a distance. Right, right exactly. So that, that's a good tip. Speaking of tips, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week, Dusty? You know, we do. And I'm going to get into cold weather gear. You know, you've got to get yourself dressed for the elements. Yeah. If you go out to the tree stand and you get cold, your hunt is over. So my tip of the week is to spend the money, get the right equipment before you head out for cold weather hunting. If not, your hunt is over. That's a great tip. Now, being um, from the Northeast, very important for cold weather, but keep in mind, we're, we're, if we have snow, we're moving, so you don't need as much as you would if you're sitting in the stand because you're going you're gonna to be burning some calories. What, what do you use in the stand when it's like 15 degrees? What kind of gear are you wearing? I'm actually layered up with fleece. Fleece is awesome, man. Love fleece. It's uh, man, it's, it's a great thing, and and I I layer fleece. I start out with a base layer of fleece, and then I go to another cover layer of fleece. Yep. And I layer another layer of fleece on top of that. So I'm, I'm in three layers of fleece pants with a rain suit, quiet suit, rain suit over top of that leggings. That's for my britches. Yep. Um, I'm mossy oak. Infinity breakup or Marcia breakup infinity for my cover outfit. Yeah. But uh, on the top end, I got uh, Under Armour for the base layer. I got the Under Armour sweatshirt for the second layer and a fleece layer over top of the Under Armour. And then I do the rain jacket coat, mm-hmm. which is quiet and it's, uh, you know, it's almost wind resistant. Yep. So it cuts the cold climates uh, as far as the wind, and if it starts snowing or misting or raining, I'm, I'm covered there. And that's how I go in. I wear uh, wool socks. I got 2,400-gram uh, Thensolate boots. I wear a fleece neck gaiter, a fleece hat, and fleece mitten finger gloves. Awesome. Very so that's cool. My, that's my cold weather here. That's your setup. Beautiful. I'll give you my cold weather setup that I had for last weekend in 25-degree weather, all day, windy not uh, not raining, just just windy and cold. I had a layer of Under Armour, uh, th- just the the base layer, um, kind of spandexy kind of stuff, uh, scent control, but thermo a good th- thick thermal layer, but flexible. Then on top of that, um, I've got my uh, kind of like a, a scent lock bottom uh, pantsuit that is not not super conditioned for for cold weather it's not like it there's a layer in between it's not built for cold weather necessarily but it is going to give me a layer be, uh, of air so there's there's some kind of a a break between my skin the under armor and the outside then i've got almost like a, a fleece cotton on top of my under armor 
And then on top of that, sometimes I'll lay, I'll put a layer of fleece, uh, but generally it's just a jacket on top of that. And then for I got an Under Armour hat, not too thick. And I actually found some of my old wool gloves that are really thin, generally speaking. But when you're moving around, and I was amazed at how warm they are. Usually it's just like a fleece glove, but I those those were wet from the hunt before the day. They still hadn't dried out, so I just found some old wool gloves that were not um, just basic stuff. But, man, they kept my, my hands warm the whole day. My boots are 1,200-gram Thinsulate. Kept my feet very warm all day and just literally had my lucky socks on. Super thin socks just kind of... Um, drawn up underneath the Under Armour. And all day, tracking in, in six-inch snow, 25 degrees, my feet couldn't have stayed warmer. They, didn't get, they get, did not get wet. They did not get cold. It was like the perfect temperature all day. Nice. You know, that's that's the difference between you and me. I'm, I'm still hunting in a tree stand. Yeah. And, man, I, I got to layer up and get settled in for no movement and uh, be able to fight off the cold. Right. And if, but, I, if I were sitting still, I'd be in a... I'd be wearing some different clothes. All right, absolutely. You know, you just got to be prepared for the elements that you're hunting. And like I said, you go out there and you sit there and you get cold, you can forget it. You're miserable. It's it's not enjoyable. Yeah, you stiffen you, up. It's not yeah, fun. It's not it, fun it at just, all. This makes you not want to go back the next day. If you can go out there and be comfortable, be warm, and enjoy yourself, man, it, it's, it, it's night and day yeah. difference of what your hunt's going to be like. You ever thought about getting one of those, like, I don't even know what they call them. This like basically a sleeping bag for your stand. I think it's called a heater bodysuit. That's it. You ever tried that? No, I have not. I have not either. I've heard some guys that had some great success, so they, heck, it was just like sitting in their living room all day, and it was 20 below. Uh, the, the only issue that I see with that is archery equipment. You have to unzip and come out of it. Right. It seems awkward. Yeah, it seems different, you know. I'd say, you know, maybe rifle hunting, sitting still, or shotgun hunting, sitting still, you may be okay because you don't have to really worry about deer coming in at a close distance. But you get into a 25-yard shot with archery equipment, mm. uh, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit difficult to get unzipped and get out of the heater bodysuit. Right. But I'm not saying they don't work. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's going to be a, a technique and – you're going to, have to be as soon as you see deer, be out of it. You know, right. you gotta you right. gotta kind of plan out your shot, get ready for it. Probably a little easier to use with a firearm. Oh, absolutely, I yeah. agree to that. Yeah. But you know, I'd say it probably keeps you warm, though. I'm sure it does. Absolutely. Um, well, that's awesome, man. Good, good, good tips for this cold weather, late season kind of kind of stuff. Um, how can we find you, Dusty, when we're not uh, listening to the podcast? Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Check me out at Dusty Huntneck, and uh, my new adventure is Antler Life. Us hunters are all living the antler life. Jay, how can people get with you at the Big Buck Registry when you're not on the podcast? When I'm not on the podcast, a couple ways. Um, first, I'd like to invite you to join us on iTunes. Obviously, you might be listening on iTunes, but I'd like to, if you're not listening on iTunes, I'd like to invite you to join us on iTunes and come in and subscribe and give us a review. Uh, five star, hopefully, if you like the show. Uh, free subscription. You don't have to pay to be here. You can just get a notification every single week, let you know that there's a brand new show. That's www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash iTunes. You can also join us on a different network called Stitcher, and that's www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Stitcher. That would be for your Android or Windows phones uh, if you're not on an uh, Apple device. 
you can give us a call at 724-613-2825. That would be our feedback line, or if you just want to get a hold of us, get a, something you want to point out, if you'd like a, us to cover a certain topic or interview a certain person, that would be a great place to leave us a message. Uh, feedback about the show, having any technical difficulties, whatever it is, that's where we, we'd love to hear from you. You can always shoot me an email at j at bigbuckregistry.com. Or Dusty at uh, Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. Both of those will will get to us. And if you would like to do a share for share, it's BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash S4S. And uh, lastly, if you'd like to get your buck picture of the big buck that you shot this year or any other year uh, featured on our Facebook page, which we now have turned 140,000 followers, you can send a photo to www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck and that'll prompt you and give you some instructions on how to get it featured on the big buck registry's facebook page and uh, just forewarning we don't take them all we we do actually sort through quite a few of them so that's it man that's that's Ooh. how you can find us offline that's a whole lot of big buck it is a um, couple of shows coming up in uh, january the ata show and uh, we're going to be there, aren't we, Dusty? Absolutely. You know, if you're going to be at the ATA show and you, you'd like to hook up with us, just shoot us a message, get us a number, and uh, we'll be glad to hook up with you and say hi to each other and, and meet you face-to-face right there at the show. Definitely. Yeah, shoot us a, you can send us a text at the 724-613-2825. Say, hey, let's meet up. I'm at the ATA show. We'd love to hear from you because we like to talk to our fans. Or if you're another podcaster, that's a great way to reach out. Um, 724-613-2825 said, Hey, I'm at the ATA. Let's, let's do a meetup. And that is in Indianapolis, uh, the January 8th through the 10th. And also we're going to be at the great American outdoor show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yes, sir. That's that, coming up in February. I think that's the 7th through the 15th. Yep. We're going to be there for the first few days. We're probably not going to do the second part, but we'll be there for the first weekend for sure. Absolutely. You know, we're looking forward to that and we're looking forward to meeting some awesome, awesome people that listen to us weekly. Absolutely. I want to get out. I want to shake some hands. I want to meet some people that listen to our show. So please, if you do, if you are a listener, just let us know that you're going to be at either of these shows or shoot us an email, uh, Jay or Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate everybody's downloads. We appreciate everybody's reviews. Thanks for hanging with us every Saturday at 5 a.m. Coming out, starting at 5 a.m. and going all week long. So, oh man, this is Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. See you next week. Can't wait.